0: Please stand for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3 and 11 to 32. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger? For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning again. Uh, as I said, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you. Uh, we are starting a new series on Luke 15. Uh, the parable of the prodigal sons. Uh, It's a parable that's like, I don't know if you have uh, maybe a favorite painting or a favorite song or a favorite movie, you feel like you could just sit down with it over and over and over again and it gets richer and richer the more you sit with it. This parable is like that. It's a parable that's about a thousand uh, different things but we're going to focus on what it reveals to us about the concept of belonging. That's what our series is going to be about, belonging to God and to one another. Uh, Belonging is extremely important. Uh, It's innate to all of us, whether we recognize it or not. And the extent to which we know deep in our souls that we truly belong to and with God and the basis on which we know we belong to him the more and more that we know the truth of that, we will increasingly thrive. And to the extent we don't know that and don't internalize that, we will increasingly break down. You could even say that all of our problems in the Christian life come from belonging, or at least living like we belong, to something other than God and letting that something else determine our, our identity, our dignity, our significance, Uh, our purpose, our safety, our, our authenticity, our eligibility for love, our promise of hope. We let something else determine those things in our lives instead of God. At the root, then, of all the ways that we break down is belonging to something that can't actually deliver for us. And this parable is one of the greatest pictures in scripture of what belonging to God or what belonging to something else instead of God looks like. Uh, It's meant to show us who belongs on what basis and what's truly valuable. As we read those first three verses, Jesus tells this parable and two others in response to kind of the heckling, the murmuring of the religious leaders of the day. He's talking about who belongs and who doesn't and on what basis in response to what they think, response to who they see as being worthy of belonging. So we're gonna spend time between now and Easter just dwelling in this parable and its picture of belonging. So that in a time when we might just naturally wonder, what is our identity now? as Christ the King? What is my purpose as a person in the midst of this community? What's my significance here? What's my my security or what's my, my authenticity here that we might say instead of being disconnected and despairing and divided that we know what it looks like to belong to God and to each other. And that we might start to take even small steps in the direction of hope and healing And so today, we're going to take an overview of the parable as a whole. In the coming weeks, we'll spend time with particular chunks of the parable. But today, we're going to get a sweep and scope of the whole thing to help orient ourselves to this concept of belonging to God. So I want to explore the overall picture of belonging that this parable gives by looking first at what is belonging. We're going to look at verses 13 and 28 through 29 for that. Second how does Jesus teach us about belonging? Look at verses 1 through 3, 12 and 29. And finally, what does Jesus call us to do in light of what he is teaching? Look at verses 17 to 24 and verse 2. So what is belonging? How does Jesus teach us about it? And what are we called to do in response to these things? Before we get into that, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Let's ask God to fill up our hearts through his word. Father, we come to breathe you in. In this moment, your word is spoken. And when you spoke your word in the beginning, it said it gave birth to light and to creation and to everything and that it was your breathing into us in the very beginning that animated us and gave us life. Your word, scripture says, is living and active. So we pray that it would be living and active in us now that it would fill up our lungs and our hearts, that we would be breathing in the pure, clean air of who you are, and we would be breathing out the impurities and difficulties and brokenness of our life as we more and more draw your word into our souls. And so would you be that animating breath of life now through your word? Would you fill up my words? But most of all, would you fill up these hearts that they might know that they belong to you, that if they don't, that they would be called and invited, even commanded by your grace to belong to you, that those of us who feel ourselves to have wandered too far away might know that there is no distance you will not go to have us belong to you, And so this morning, would you inhabit our hearts and our space together that we might know through and through that we, by your grace, belong to you. Do that now for us this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We're going to be going back through the text this morning. Uh, but starting out with thinking about what is belonging? What, what does it really look like? What does it feel like, what's it about? There are a lot of different definitions out there. A lot of them are are actually pretty good. There are a few definitions and most of them uh, talk about, at least at an academic level, what it feels like to belong. The American Psychological Association calls it the feeling of being accepted and approved by a group or by society as a whole. So acceptance, approval. Uh, Cornell University, for one of their departments, says that it's the feeling of security and support when there is a sense of acceptance, inclusion, and identity for a member of a certain group. It's when an individual can bring their authentic self. It's a feeling like authenticity, support, uh, inclusion. Uh, The National Institute of Health's National Library of Medicine says it's the subjective feeling of deep connection with social groups, physical places, and individuals and collective experiences, that deep sense of connection. Those all suggest what it feels like when you have it, it's, it's acceptance, it's approval, it's security and support, it's, it's inclusion, it's identity, it's connection. I want to also use, though, a definition that talks about not just what it feels like, but what the thing in and of itself is to help us understand. I'm going to reference again Brene Brown, who I think I talked about in the preceding weeks and in one of her books, The Gifts of Imperfection, sums up the need of belonging itself. What is the essence of this thing, not just the feeling of it? She says that belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. That's how she defines it through her research, that belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. That's what all those feelings are about. Connecting to something that's larger than you. Feeling accepted is more than just me. Feeling supported, feeling secure, feeling like I have an identity, feeling like I have a purpose here. Those things are connecting me to a larger thing, to be part of a place, a group, a society where I have those things. That is belonging. The need for those things and the actualization of them. I want to nuance her definition just a bit to say that belonging from a biblical perspective is the innate God-given human desire to be part of something larger than us. Belonging from scripture's conviction is a longing from God that he gave us in the beginning to have our souls caught up in something deeper, something wider, something higher than us to find a, a perfect identity, dignity, significance, purpose. Safety, authenticity, eligibility, which we are meant to find not somewhere else, but actually with and in God, because God, scripture's conviction says, is actually the source, the wellspring of all these things. So it's a longing from God, for God, and God has always purposed that he would not just give us the desire, but then not help us actually have the thing, but that he would do both. He would give you the desire to connect with a higher life, with something deeper and also supply that. Almost like someone who might teach you to really appreciate Beethoven and classical music and that that someone wouldn't just say, well, I hope you enjoy this later in your life, but that they would take you regularly to a Philharmonic Orchestra where you get to hear Beethoven's Fifth Symphony and Fourth Symphony. Someone that would teach you to desire a thing but also give you the fulfillment of that desire. And God delights to do that for us, not at a distance, not in some kind of transactional way, but as our parable is gonna point out more and more through relationship with him. Not some quest, Not some kind of find it under a rock or go and sit in silence and achieve it in meditation, but in relationship. One of the most fundamental principles of scripture in Christianity is the relationship between God and his people, that redemption happens in relationship, that we go wrong in relationship. It's in relationship that God meant us to have these deep longings of our soul at the hand of someone who knows us so that life would not be a search in the dark, but rather a relationship with a friend. And in this parable, this desire for a God-shaped belonging for all these things that we're talking about shows up clearly here in these two sons and the desires that they have. In verse 13, we see the younger son, after doing the unthinkable. That's what this request is. Maybe you've heard this before, if you've heard this preached on, but this request to receive the inheritance that was his was an unthinkable request in that culture or any culture really, because you only receive an inheritance once someone has died. He is asking for the opportunity to treat his father who is alive as if he was dead. He's sort of killing him for his money. He wants what he has. He would rather that his father not live so that he might have something from him rather than him. After doing this unthinkable thing, the younger son, the passage says, leaves. He has the audacity to do this. So certainly he would have the audacity to stick around if he wanted to, but he goes out. He goes out and says to a faraway country, a faraway place, looking for what he is most longing for that he feels like he can't find at home and he can't find without this money. He's looking for connection. He's looking for significance, he's looking for authenticity. Reckless living, as we'll learn about later in the passage, means that he is trying to connect with people in a way that is unfiltered, unbounded. He has this deep hunger and need to consume relationship and connection from others, and he'll do that even if he has to pay for it. He has this depth of longing that he can't escape that's driving him to these things. Likewise, verse 28 and 29 shows the older son when he refuses to go in and celebrate to be part of the group that welcomes this admittedly estranged son who has done terrible things to the family back into the family. When the father asks him to come in because he just won't come, this older son responds by saying he never really felt welcomed. That's what his words are really about. He's saying, you never really cared about me. He never even gave me something that was worth celebrating. You didn't see me, I didn't matter here. He didn't feel like he was accepted, approved, significant. He didn't feel it seems eligible for the father's love. He describes being someone who doesn't feel like they belong or doesn't know really that he actually does. So we have two people in two different ways, equally desperate to find belonging, to find this connection, to find the fulfillment they were meant to have, but they're really struggling to find it, really struggling to find that place, even within themselves or within a group where they feel like they belong. I've been in that place. Maybe you're in that place today, maybe you have been in that place where you are really struggling to feel like you belong, like you matter, like it's important that you're there. This parable is a story about that search, that that desire, that need to belong. It talks about who belongs and on what basis, why do you matter? How are you significant? And Jesus uses this parable to teach a group of people, the Pharisees and the scribes, as our our text says, the religious elite of their day. These are people that went to seminary, had advanced degrees, these are seminary professors and pastors and elders and deacons. These are the, the advanced spiritual people of their time who seem sure that they know very, very clearly who belongs to God and who should not. Who should be here and who should just get out. Jesus uses this story about a sense of hunger and longing for belonging to talk to people who think they know exactly what it means to belong and on what basis. And Jesus' story is meant to be a radical reshaping of their world to understand maybe for the first time how you really belong, what you really mean to God, why he loves you, how we find our belonging. That's what this, this sense of belonging that Jesus creates through this story he tells is meant to draw out here. And if we move to our second consideration, how Jesus teaches us about belonging, it may be surprising that Jesus does this not just through arguing with the scribes and Pharisees, but through the story, through characters even. He invites us to find belonging that we were made to find in him by seeing ourselves as characters in the story. He's trying to invite the scribes and Pharisees to see themselves as characters in the stories, to invite the sinners and tax collectors to see themselves as characters in the story of God. And over the coming weeks, I want to invite you to do the same, to see yourself in this story, to find all the little angles and facets in which you show up in this story, that you might come to truly know what it is to belong to God through recognizing yourself and God at work in this story. Because this is the method Jesus uses a story. Not a lecture, not a set of principles, not an argument, but a story. A story of relationship to lead you back to relationships. Stories have that power sometimes, much more than just an argument or a lecture might or a sermon might. A story can stay with you, can get a hold of you and just keep you going back again and again, over and over. This story is meant to grip us and our hearts and meant to challenge us. That's what parables are. are. They are stories that are meant to change your life. And Jesus is meaning to change the lives of these scribes and Pharisees through really these three characters that he talks about here in the story, which is the younger brother, the older brother, and the father. They're all represented by those three people groups that we see in verses one through three. Uh, The sinners and tax collectors are portrayed by the younger son. They are people that everybody can see are deeply lost, Nobody doubts that. Everyone clearly understands that these people need help, that there is something broken in their their need and their fulfillment of belonging. And there's the Pharisees and scribes, which Jesus seems to be portraying as the older brother. Equally, it seems, as far from true belonging when we look at the end of the parable. And yet, nobody recognizes that. No one sees that they are just as far away in their hearts as that younger brother is physically in a different country. They don't see that though they've never left home by their actions, they've never really been at home in their heart. They've never actually belonged. And Jesus is clearly portrayed as the father, as the one whose heart and welcome and healing goes out to both sons equally see the father running out to the younger son. We see the father going out to the older son. His heart equally goes out to both. Not just to one, not just to the other, but to both. But the reality is this is not just a picture of those three parties, that these are are people, groups, identities, characters in some sense. They're roles that we either all play or roles that we are called to play and struggle to play. And the real sobering challenge of this parable is that we all in some way, shape, or form at times in our lives will be both the younger son and the older son. We're all going to walk maybe more towards the younger son through most of our lives, more towards the older son through most of our lives. But there are going to be times where it's true that we really are both. And the perhaps deeper challenge is that not only are we both when we might like to be, I just, I'm a younger brother. I know I mess up. That's who I am. I don't really want to see myself as the critical, bitter person who refuses to come in. Or I know that I'm a type A person and I've got a great lock on how to do the rules and I'm really afraid of seeing myself as the person who will just wander away and do whatever. As challenging, as sobering as that is, the deeper challenge is that we're actually all called not to stay as the sons, but to grow into the father, to step out of simple childhood and into spiritual maturity. We'll talk about that growing part at the end, but for now I wanna focus on the fact that we all really do play the roles of both the younger son and the older son, and we might feel like it's impossible to consider ourselves in that other seat. It's really hard to think of myself as the older brother, really hard to think of myself as the younger brother. Or maybe you're the middle child here this morning and you feel like, I am neither, I am both. I am all things. Uh, The parable speaks to you as well, middle children. I see you. I see you. I value you. The Lord values you as well. Um, But we all play these roles, these poles of younger son and older son, and they are so similar that we may not see it. They're two sides of the same coin. Look at this with me, right? They're both chasing belonging in places that it doesn't really exist. The younger son is chasing that, verse 13, through limitless desires and experiences until the money runs out. That's where he is so deeply trying to find his belonging. The older brother, verse 29, is chasing that same feeling through rigid obedience, Said, I always did these things for you. That's why I should belong here. That's why I should have the things that he had just because he said he wanted you dead. They're both looking for the same thing in different ways. They're both looking for something from the Father, from God. We're all looking for that as a payment, not as a part of relationship, as something that's due them. What is the younger son? He says, give me what's mine, right? Give me my share. This is what you owe me. He doesn't say, we're connected, could you help me? The older son similarly looks for the same exact thing, except not for wild living, but for security. He says, based on how I've served you, shouldn't you have given me these things? This is what's due to me. They both see the Father through the perspective of what you owe me, not what we have through relationship. They're both really just shopping for identity, dignity, significance, purpose, safety, all those things. They're trying to pay a price to get it instead of receiving it through relationship as a gift. They're doing it differently, but they're both doing the exact same things. The family resemblance is there. The younger son does that by his brutal request give me what's mine. The older son does that by his lifeless, loveless obedience. He says, I slaved for you. Our translation says serve, but that that Greek word really has a connotation of slave. I slaved for you, I broke my back for you, and yet you didn't even look my way, is what he says. Right, he was looking, he was shopping for a reward by his obedience. And actually they both do things to hurt their father because they're trying to find belonging somewhere else through some other means than just relationship. The younger son hurts him by wishing him dead. The older son hurts him by calling him not a father, but essentially a slave master by saying that I slaved for you, saying, you're not my dad. At best, you're my boss. And I hate the way that I've had to work for you. They both hurt the father. You see, as different as we'd like to feel that we may be in being the older son or the younger son, we are all doing the same things. It just looks a little bit different. And there's real importance in seeing the commonality of that because it is so easy to judge one another quickly, to say, man, I'm so glad I'm not like them, so glad I'm not the younger brother, so glad I'm not the older brother, when really we're just doing the same things with a different outfit on. That's all it is. It's window dressing on the same impulses of the heart. And it's helpful to see that one another, though we are different and though we are making mistakes in different ways, we are all looking for the same thing. We have that same need wedded in our hearts to search for God, and yet we are not finding it in the right ways. The sons are two sides of the same coin, two equally broken ways of looking for something where it can't be found using tools that won't actually bring it about. One person is using a hammer to sew pants and another person is using a plow. Neither of these things work. You'd be like, wow, I'm just so glad I'm not using that ignorant plow to try and make these pants, what an idiot. But they're both equally broken ways of trying to do something that does not work. We all do this in various ways. Some ways of brokenness are just more widely recognized, more painfully obvious as broken. But they are all problems. If the foundation of your house is cracked, that is just as big a problem as if your roof is caving in, though it may not be as obvious. You may not see it. The problems are there, they just fly under the radar. Some of it just passes for obedience, for being a good person, for having the right posture, for having the right way of talking with one another, for having the right freedom and free spirit. We just trade on these things in different ways in our societies. And we don't recognize that we're doing the same things. And through the story, Jesus is teaching us that whether we run from God, to find belonging or use God's rules to try and earn it from him, we are equally lost. We're disconnected from true belonging in relationship and we are blindly self-destructing. So what do we do if this is who we are? If we are these children, there are these two groups before Jesus, those that think they know they have done everything right and those who know that they have done everything wrong and they're both in front of him and we might expect Jesus to say it's only the people who recognize that they have done everything wrong that, that have the opportunity to belong. But we see the heart for the father in both of these groups. We see the heart for Jesus for all those who are either the younger brother or the older brother. So what are we called to do. Jesus calls us to become a people of true belonging and welcome rather than fake pretend belonging, rather than searching for it where it can't be found. And how do we do that? I think in two ways, and we're going to explore a lot of these things so much more in the coming weeks, but one, by being welcomed, first, is how you belong. And second, by truly welcoming like Jesus welcomed so first being welcomed, it's not the younger son's coming to his senses. If you look at verse 17, that's what it says there. He comes to himself, he realizes, what am I doing? I'm trying to eat what pigs eat. This is just so far off from where I should be. It's not his coming to his senses that makes him truly belong. It's coming to his senses that makes him start looking for help and not that makes him a son. Again, his plan was just to be a servant Look at the text there in verses 18 through 19. He's practicing this speech. Father, treat me as one of your hired hands. He's not expecting to belong. Coming to his senses has not made him a son again. It's in verse 20 through 24. It's the father's welcome. That's what makes him belong. It's not his plan, it's not his, his speech, it's the father's gifts, the blessings that restore him to relationship. It's a belonging that's given, not earned. Again, the son is trying to earn it. He is creeping back towards now being the older brother. He's saying, now I'm gonna do the right things to make sure my father loves me. And the father is just saying, stop, stop. You belong because I love you. Because I say you belong. Not because you've done something for me or to me. You belong because you are mine. You are from me and you will always be mine. It's the welcome of the father. And that comes by the father paying an extra and extraordinary price in order to welcome him back. Look at this. The father embraces shame to run out to this son. Patriarchs did not run at that time. Remember, you are in robes. You are in heavy clothing. You would have to hike those bad boys up and trot in sandals. You don't do that as a patriarch. You move slowly and with purpose and dignity. You don't run. And yet he runs, not to the older brother, not to a friend. He runs to the son that spit in his face, essentially, by this request, who wished him dead. He throws his arms around him. He hugs and kisses him. See the father who doesn't care what the community thinks about him because of what he thinks about his son. The father doesn't stop there and paying extra prices. Yeah, he's going to take on this shame, but he's also going to take off his robe and his ring. He's going to put the very symbols of his approval, his status, his power and authority to rest on this son who has no status, no reason to have authority, no reason to have power, no reason to have acceptance. They are now going to rest on him. He gives up his own possessions again, as he did in the very beginning to welcome home someone who did not deserve that welcome. He keeps going. He kills a prized, fattened calf to help celebrate the return of this son. This was expensive. You were not eating meat all the time. Meat was a rarity to be eaten. You weren't going to Tasty Burger after service. You are welcome to do that. Bless you if you go. I'm not saying you can't. But I'm saying in this ancient time, meat was not a common thing. This was a celebration. This was something you were saving for a special occasion. And the father says, this is that moment. This is that occasion. You coming home. Not because the son's return required it. He could have let him live as a servant. He might have been right to do that within his rights to say, yeah, you can be a servant for the rest of your days here. But he doesn't do that. He does it not because the son's return required it, but because his love required it. His affection for him required that he would give these things to his son. He pays all this when he could have just stayed mad and sent his son away, and no one would have blamed him for doing that. Nobody would have blamed him. But he pays this extra price. And this is the way that Jesus welcomes all of us back from our wandering, from our estrangement, from our spitting in his face, from our hurting others and ourselves, by paying a price he didn't have to pay for people who shouldn't deserve the love. That's what he does. He pays a price he doesn't have to pay for people who don't deserve the price. This is what he did on the cross. He embraced shame by being stripped and beaten to run out to us in our sin held in the utmost shame and disregard, not just by a family, not by a small community, but in front of everyone that would come through that major city to embrace us in our brokenness, to stand in for us in our brokenness by becoming brokenness for us. He put his sign and seal, his status and authority on us, not with his robe. And his ring, but covering us with his body and his blood, the greatest price that anyone could give. He gives the entirety of his life, his righteousness and perfection to clothe you now who were ragged and broken in the riches and glory and splendor of the perfection of the eternal God. He lets himself be sacrificed to become the very means and meal of the celebration that we get to have at the end of every service. He doesn't sacrifice the fattened calf. He lets his life go that he might become that welling up into new life for us because he has taken away all that was broken in us and given us now all that is right in him. And so it is fitting that we might come and celebrate because he, the Passover lamb, has been slain that we who are lost might be found again. The way back to true belonging is just to receive God's unmerited welcome of you. We become people of true belonging, not by earning it, but just by receiving it. But secondly, we're called not just to be those who receive and are welcomed back, but to become those who also likewise welcome those who extend belonging, that we are called to grow up, as I said just a few minutes ago, into this role of spiritual adulthood, to become a spiritual mother, a spiritual father in the community. The unquestionable invitation of this parable is to be like the father. That's the person that you want to be like. You wanna have that kind of generosity, that kind of love, that kind of patience. It's the answer to the murmuring of the leaders in verse 2 that Jesus, quote, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus tells this amongst the three parables in response to their disgust with with who he's welcoming in, with who he's admitting to belong to his group of friends and his community. And he ends by challenging them to welcome like he welcomes, to saying, you will not welcome them, but I welcome them. This is how I'm going to welcome them. This is actually how I welcome you. The invitation, the call is to be like the father, to be those who welcome in this way because we are now clothed and dressed in the richness of the father's robe and rings. That we don't do these things as stripped naked and embarrassed and shoeless like the younger son but those who stand in beauty and glory and the affluence of the spirit to welcome others in the very welcoming of God. We'll talk a lot about this more later in the series, but briefly and by way of of application and coming to a close here, to become the father means that we are called to see what he sees and to pay the extra price. So I want to encourage you to to do that this week through the power of the Holy Spirit to see how the Father sees these sons and to pay the extra price. First, to see what he sees. We're called to see the value of all who are lost, no matter if you are lost because you have clearly, unequivocally abandoned God and anything that resembles God and walked away from him, or that you have made the entirety of your belonging to God based on some kind of earning, we can equally reject the relational welcome of God, and God has no less welcome for the younger brother or the older brother. He goes out to both. He values both. He sees both as worthy of his love and care. Who are those who have no or little value in your eyes? Maybe right in here. Who's somebody here at CTK that has little value in your eyes? Who's somebody in your family, in your neighborhood, at school, at work, who has little or no value in in your eyes? How is God calling you to see them as no less in need of return as you are? And no less need of a father's welcome than you are. Is the belonging of God that you know big enough to redeem them and hold them to? Or does the line of God's power stop with me? Can it reach farther? Can it do more? Is there more welcome in God that I know about? How might God challenge you this week in one way, just to see one person with the value that God shows that he extends to all people, whether they are not at home because they have never left simply by just obeying and trying to earn or because they've left and they really aren't at home. How might we welcome like this father welcomes by seeing what he sees? And finally, how might we do what he does to pay this extra price? What would it look like for you to not make someone earn your love in some way this week? That's probably not a conscious thing that a lot of us do. But our reactions show in certain moments that you've not earned our love. Right? You've done something that's frustrated me. You've disappointed me. You've stepped on my toes. You've not seen me. And so my, my affection for you, my engagement with you, the way I talk to you, my tone, the things I'll do for you are held back. What would it look like to pay the extra price, not just for those who are in our good graces, but for those who at times are not? Because the father pays a price he doesn't have to pay. How often are we looking to make someone pay the price that we're pretty sure they have to pay? And we can now pay this extra price. You are clothed in the Father's robes, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same welcome of God for you now flows spiritually through your veins. You can call on the Holy Spirit for the power that would enable you to welcome like the father welcome by paying this extra price. We are not giving a welcome of God. We're not paying the extra price out of poverty, but out of riches. Yes, you don't have it. I don't have it in and of myself. Praise God that we don't have to have it. And God can do it for you. Isn't that what we believe church? Don't we believe in miracles? Yet when it comes to me, I really, I don't, right? I don't expect relational miracles. I don't expect heart miracles for me, but don't we believe in miracles? What if they were really true? What if we really could pay an extra price? So what's just one small way this week, just keep this in the back of your mind, a mental post-it note, that right now I'm gonna pay a little bit of an extra price. I'm gonna draw on God to do that, with my friends, with my roommate. I know I can get a witness in here. Somebody's gonna have to pay an extra price for a roommate this week, amen? For a spouse, maybe double amen. For parents, quadruple amen. Kids, amen. Right, how are we gonna need to pay an extra price? Well, it's just one moment where you can draw on the richness that God gives you to pay that extra price. Ask God to enable you to do it by living out of the unshakable belonging and welcome that you have now in him. Let's pray and ask him to do that. We'd like to leave a little space for you to talk with God in your heart about the things that we have just been talking about to to thank him for paying the extra price for you, for seeing you as the younger son that he would run out to or the older brother that he would equally go out to. Maybe to confess some of the ways that, that we, have, if we're honest, really wanted to belong somewhere else. We wanted to find it in something else, some other way. Or just ask God to enable you to, to see what He sees in somebody else that you just you struggle to see right now and to help you pay the extra price. Let's pray. Father, help us to see with love the younger son and with compassion the older son in ourselves and each other and to be welcomed by you and extend that great and amazing welcome that we have in and through your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.